Welcome to the Old Galway Diary podcast. Each week, Tom Kenny and I, Ronnie O'Gorman, write a column in the Galway Advertiser. Before it goes to press, we contact each other and share what is filling the page that particular week. This podcast is that conversation. And I would add, we enjoy talking to you and would appreciate if you would give us a rate and review on the Apple Podcast app. Thank you. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Morning, Ronnie. Yeah, yeah. A bit overcast. I'm very well. I'm looking out at a grey sky in Barna, but I'm sure it's going to be a wonderful day. Well, in Air Square now, Tom, the sun is shining and everyone's out happy eating ice cream. So there you go. (laughs) Okay, well, I better head for Air Square. I'm only fooling. I'm only fooling. It's overcast here, too. But we've had a lovely spread of good weather. And uh, it's just a nice time of year. This schools are reopening. There's a slight hint of autumn, but not only a slight hint. It's still summer, I think, really. Ah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Tom, where are we this week? What have you got in store? Well, I am going back to 1963 to uh, uh, have a photograph of the dredging of the docks in 1963. Nice. Obviously, being a seaside port, you know, uh, and as you have so articulately uh, shown us over the last several weeks with the Galway line, The docks were always of supreme importance to the city. They were a lifeline to the rest of the world. And uh, but they were quite small and confined. Yeah. And also the uh, the channel in which is known as the roads is quite narrow. And uh, but anyway, in the in the 1930s, the docks were actually thriving. Um, There was a lot of uh, liners, transatlantic liners coming in about one every two weeks. And uh, there was a significant amount of coastal business being done by companies like Limerick Steamship Company, etc. Uh, so there was a lot of traffic, commercial traffic coming through into the docks. Yeah, uh, You would never see in those days, you would never see a private yacht or a boat, <coughs> a leisure boat in there at all. It was all commercial and uh, so they decided at the end of the 30s that they should really uh, put together a major scheme to build what they cut now or what they then called the Dunanga stock they built a new pier and they wanted to deepen the channel Uh, so they removed thousands of tons of mud and various materials most of which was dumped near Hare Island Uh, it took a bit longer there were quite a lot of strikes apparently Mm -hmm. Uh, but anyway, they they finished it finally. How did they? 19- how did they? How did they deepen it, though, Tom? So, uh, I mean, you know, it's a tidal, it's a tidal uh, dock, isn't it? I mean, it. Well, they they simply closed. The, there were two docks at the time. They closed the gates. Uh, that's all. And right. it, you know, uh, okay. and when there was a very low tide, they yeah. closed the gates, yeah. and uh, all right. So. <clears throat> Anyway, there were, there were, as I said, there were two docks, uh, but uh, there was the commercial dock, which was the larger one, which had its own gates near on, on the long walk side of the, the docks. Okay. And then there was the smaller but deeper Dunangus dock, which was on the kind of the railway station side, if you like. Right. But it was becoming 
you know, uh, ev very evident uh, with all of this traffic that there were more improvements needed. And uh, this was essentially a continuation of the earlier works. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to, well, they wanted to bring the two docks in together uh, as one. They wanted to deepen the two of them. They were surveying and hopefully dredging the channel. They wanted to provide cargo transit buildings. Uh, they needed to build false key walls. You know, they had to replace the old Donangus dock gates with the gates that we now know that are there at present. Right. And uh, they felt that the port was one where travellers' greetings were exchanged beside the most ugly pile of tumble-down sheds imaginable. Oh, dear. Awful heaps of rusted ironworks, mm. rotted wood and junk scattered yeah. about in grass-grown and weed-grown areas that everywhere told of stagnation. Oh, dear. That was a pretty damning <laughs> description. That was anyway, probably left over from the Galway line, you know, and all the effort there. But however, Oh, I would say, yes. And, and also a certain amount. There were actually two... Um, units of the contractor's equipment, uh, a rock breaker and a floating crane, they were still in the commercial dock all throughout the war years after mm -hmm. the 1930s. Yeah. So they were in no hurry <laughs> to clean the no, place no. up, obviously. <laughs> anyway, about this time, on the 5th of September in 1963, the then Minister for Transport and Power, Erskine Childers, he ceremonially pulled a lever that would set in motion the operation that would complete the harbour development scheme of the 30s. Uh, this was going to cost about £340,000, which doesn't seem much today, but it was a huge amount I in guess. 1963. Yes. And the urgency of this was speeded up by the fact that they had just discovered zinc in Tina. Oh. And the company in charge, yes. Irish Base Metals, yeah. finally gave their preference. There was some competition as to which export port they would use, but they finally decided it would be Galway. Indeed. And what this would mean, it would mean they would bring in between four and 500 tonnes of concentrate every day to Galway port by truck. And that's why they built, if you remember them, the big circular buildings. They I were do about indeed. 60 feet in height. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. And... Uh, this facilitated a huge amount of traffic coming through the docks. And so in 1963, at about this time, the biggest cleanup really that the docks had ever seen started. Nice. Uh, and my memory of that is I didn't often visit the docks for some reason, but uh, what I remember are these enormous uh, carriers of rocks, big, huge boulders being driven uh, I don't know where. I don't know where they dumped all the stuff. They did a lot of blasting, um, but they certainly deepened greatly at the docks, and they brought the two docks into one. Uh, and uh, and that's the photograph that I have this Lovely. week. It's of it's of the floor of the docks, and uh, you realize how deep the docks actually are when you see this photograph. Uh, but they're working in there. They're actually blasting in the middle of it, and uh, and it's also. It looks very extensive when it's empty, if you know what I mean. Yes. And um, uh, quite a big area, but also, of course, the depth of the the dry dock uh, adds 
to that um, impression right. as well, I think. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed when you see some of those big boats coming through those gates with about two inches to spare on either exactly. side. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. The pity I they agree. didn't build it bigger at the time. Um, yeah. But the, the, the traffic on the docks, of course, has decreased dramatically, hasn't it? We don't see the yeah. oil tankers now. They seem to go around the side. Um, yeah. We see the boats coming to collect the scrap metal. And yeah. uh, we see fisher boats, of course, uh, the fleets coming in at times, Donegal and the Aran fleet. Um, but yes, I, I think it's kind of underused, Tom. It's a pity, isn't it? Now, there are plans. Well, ambitious it's becoming... Plans. Uh, yeah, I think it's becoming more of a marina now than uh, yes. an actual commercial yes. dock. And if they go manage to go ahead with this plan to extend That's right. the dock out, the, uh, out into the bay, I think that will have a very dramatic change. And also, of course, it will add to the attraction of the existing docks as a marina for many others, I think, yes. as Next. well. You know, yeah. like, for example, the... The fishery research vessel takes up quite a bit of space. Yeah, two as well. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yes, they, wonderful to see them. They belong to, they, yes, they're manned by the university, I think, largely. Uh, they are. They're, and they're beautiful looking boats, too. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, sometimes we get some of the Irish naval uh, boats coming in, which is always, always stop the car to have a look. And, yes. Yeah, and exactly. That kind yeah. of excitement. Um, yes, okay. So, so I think dock, this yeah. this photograph, sorry. That's great, I think Tom, this I photograph know. kind of marks the yeah. end of of the era where ships were unloaded oh. almost by hand and, and yeah. the cargo was put onto uh, horses and carts and distributed to the various warehouses. Yeah. Uh, I think the, that this photograph kind of marks the end of that era, really, yeah. and... The, the transformation of the docks into what it is today. Well, that's interesting. You know, that's very interesting because, yeah, Tom, I'm afraid you're right. I'm still, I've gone back to the Galway line a little bit because I've, I've just found out some more stuff and I'm, I'm not going to delay too long, but I tend to write about things that I like myself, which is probably yes. very selfish. Rightly so. I should think what the readers would like, but I can't help... Uh, no more than your own curiosity going back to the Atlantic Ocean, which we have on our doorstep, and yet we haven't exploited it properly, I think, even now. So I'd love to see the plans developed for the harbour that have been muted and planned, as you say, to build it right out uh, into the roads, um, to take larger vessels out there and then make it easier for passengers to come ashore. But, you know, I, I can't help but admiring the Galway line. It really had a terrible run of bad luck. There's no question. But it was not without trying. And I was laughing myself last night reading uh, my friend, uh, Father Peter Daly, who was one of the chief movers and shakers with uh, that man, John Oriel Lever from uh, Birmingham, from um, Liverpool. Yeah. Manchester, sorry, he was a Manchester Mancurian man and had the robust personality that goes with the north of England um, sort of uh, caricature, as we imagine. You know, he was bluff. He was an yeah. MP. Galway had elected him an MP. So he was a great man to front this 
um, to give confidence that the Galway line would succeed. But anyway, uh, Peter Daly, he wasn't getting the good publicity that he that he felt he deserved. And lots of politicians are a bit like that, Tom, I found out in my life. Politicians. <laughs> they sure are. <laughs> so he set up his own newspaper, the Galway Press, and uh, he put his brother, Nicholas, Nicholas Daly, to be the editor and um, managing direct, director of the Galway Press, and of which they gave always glowing accounts to everything that Peter Daly did. But <laughs> I, I was reading Timothy Collins's book, and uh, you see, this whole Galway line came within a decade of the Great Famine. And it was such a beacon of hope and, you know, excitement that the, sh the bay would be filled with ships. We'd have thousands of immigrants coming into Galway, transferring onto the boats with all that excitement and sailing away. And so it was, you know, it was really looked upon as a, as a godsend after that awful famine yes. period yeah. but anyway it it sparked a lot of ballads songs and poems and of course uh, the leader of the, the the person that had the most poems was in uh, daily's paper the galway press and i won't bore you with all the verses because there's hundreds of verses but <laughs> he starts off by praising it's it, it's it's down in galway i'd vain live alway near father daly a, that true irish man and the decent people round saint nicholas's steeple famed for hospitality since the world began. If you're a stranger, a Connacht ranger, oh, fear no danger upon your tour. If your means run scanty, you'll get full and plenty the first house you go to, whether rich or poor. So that was pretty straightforward. And awful. Awful. Oh, yeah, awful it, was terrible. it was terrible doggerel stuff. No question. No question. <laughs> Absolutely. But these things were sung in the pubs. There's a lovely one here from... Um, oh, by the way... Um, uh, um, Collins surmises that, in fact, Daly wrote that poem himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe that. <laughs> but there's another good one from uh, Loch Ray, the old packet station, and the, the last verse is, Let Aaron raise her voice in praise of our renowned defender who would subdue the venal few who would our cause surrender, the best of men whose voice and pen have gained the project really. That man of worth, the pride of earth, brave father Peter Daly. So, hooray, hooray. There's another lovely one. Uh, I couldn't help trying. I'm not going to sing it all, but it's to the tune of Yankee Doodle Dandy. And an Aura Lieber went to town to plant another steam line. He stuck his hat upon his crown and jumped upon the engine. And the chorus is, I'm sure you know this, our lever went to town, our lever dandy. We'll travel on the lever line because it is handy. I know we won't, we won't. But there was no, even, no, that's there, enough. I give okay, up. Okay, I won't. But there was even, there was even a dance, uh, the Galway Packet Gallop. And this was very, very popular. And it, people danced to their heart's content to the music that went with it. But I'm just trying to convey, you know, the relief 
after the famine, the oh, excitement yes. and the potential. And not <laughs> only that, but when the boats were not either being fixed in dock or on the Atlantic, they gave uh, tours around the bay. There were tours to the Aran Islands. There was tours to the Cliffs of Moher, of course. And very often on the summer's day, bands played and all of that. And, uh, you know, the, it was yeah. just generally the town was looking towards the Atlantic, as you so rightly uh, surmise in your own piece this week, as the savior, as, as Galway's, you know, golden star that was going to beckon good days. Now, yes. j- j- just to, I'm just going to talk a bit about the, um, the, the last boat, uh, the famous P.S. Connacht, uh, which was to be Galway's line's savior. Now, the, things hadn't been going well. I've talked about that pre- previous weeks. And in fact, <laughs> sadly, they had to sell the... Um, the uh, postal uh, contract which they had, which was very valuable, the postal contract, that was something they could sell to keep afloat, and that was sold. I suspect to get money to put into the P.S. Connors, which was this massive, massive boat, the second largest boat uh, to be built in the British Isles. Um, It was built by Palmer's Shipbuilding in Newcastle upon Tyne. It was 380 foot long. I'm told that's 120 meters long. It had a 40 foot beam, uh, capacity for 800 passengers. Its hull was built of iron. This was a new invention. It had three massive 800 horsepower engines capable of reaching speeds of 20 miles per hour. And she had two masts with sails. So, you know, she had everything possible to, to speed her on her way. And yeah. in, in the center of the boat were two massive paddle wheels, uh, and the, they were about three stories in height. So it was a massive, massive thing. Anyway, it came into Galway, and uh, I, I'll, I'll talk a bit the next week. Uh, 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 alas, it was eventually it became known as the Titanic of Galway or the Titanic of Ireland, because in fact, on its maiden voyage, it came a cropper. But I'll talk about that next week, just to tell a little bit about the people who were invested in this uh, Galway line. Of course, Ariel Lieber, a man who made a fortune uh, in the Crimean War by leasing boats to the British Army. And uh, I think he was spending it all at this stage. He must have put every penny he had into this new boat that was going to be the star. But there was about 300 other uh, shareholders. Um, They were middle class merchants, businessmen, uh, bankers, Clergymen, clergymen always seemed to have a lot of money in those days, uh, elected representatives and solicitors, people who were largely unaffected by the devastating Great Famine, as you can imagine. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but despite its bad luck, the Galway line did complete 55 return voyages between Galway, Halifax, Boston, and New York uh, over a six year period. Many other voyages which were only just uh, a once-off, I'm afraid. The boat didn't make the return voyage. They had to uh, lease another boat. There was one boat that was that was very, very uh, profitable, the Adriatic, the PS Adriatic from Galway. It was a wooden-hulled ship, not iron-hulled. Maybe there was something in that. But she made five return voyages successfully between Galway and uh, the east coast of America. So 
you know, the, the, it was always tantalizing. There was always, well, if we just did this and if we just went another step, yes. you know, we'd, yes. um, you know, we'd succeed. Now, yes. despite Peter Daly's uh, setting up of his own newspaper, when Galway heard, well, they, first of all, Galway knew that things weren't going well, but there were still hopes that it would improve and this new boat would do it. But when Galway heard that the postal contracts were sold, it was a blow. And the Galway Vindicator always had always Peter Daly in its scrutiny were absolutely horrified. And they came out boldly the first time ever in six years, the first time ever that a Galway paper suddenly said, oh, my goodness, this is not going well. Uh, it, and the headline is Galway is sold up, sold out, transferred, robbed, robbed and laughed at because it's sold oh most yeah. valuable things. So you can imagine yes. how things were going. But nevertheless, and Peter Daly, I did mention this before, he sort of falls away from the scene. He is not as uh, visible as he was as things go yeah. downhill. Yeah. Of course, when Galway heard, you know, the horrendous end to the P.S. Connors, which I'll talk about next week, there was despair. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, Tom, I'm glad we're, we're looking again. <coughs> see, And I hope we're giving, you know, a little bit of, confidence to the people who are uh, you know involved in extending the harbor and inviting yes. bigger ships in because really we have this resource as i said on our doorstep it's a wonderful clean ocean this side of it it's full of wonderful life and you know pr prospects for sailing fishing and enjoyment as well as commercial exploitation so it's about time we really did something about it i think yes it is yeah i agree well hopefully it will happen in our lifetime i'd love to see it tom i really would yeah yeah, yeah we've yeah. talked about it enough yeah and by the way yeah i have a piece of advice for you <clears throat> please keep writing about what you like to write about. Oh, I see. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, I think maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. I can't write about things I don't like. But... No, no, no. Not right. That's, 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 yeah. the, that's the luck of having your own little corner in the paper, you see. You can write <laughs> yeah. about <laughs> Yeah. Okay, Tom. Tom, I'm looking forward to it all. So Okay. I'll... I'll read your paper on Thursday. So we'll talk next week. Yeah. I look forward to it. Take care. God bless now. Bye. Bye.